morning, church. Good morning to all of you who are watching online today. We're thrilled that uh, all of you have chosen to uh, be with us on this uh, beautiful uh, May morning. For the last uh, four weeks, we've been talking about how it is okay to be not okay, uh, especially at church. Especially at church. Because I think a lot of us grew up thinking that when we came to church that uh, we had to put on some kind of appearance that we have it all together. Even when we don't. See, here at Anderson Hills, we're, we're striving to be a community of faith, not a church full of perfect people. And today we're talking about doubt and disappointment. You ever find yourself doubting your faith? Have you ever doubted God's existence or, or doubted God's goodness? Perhaps you've had some intellectual questions that you couldn't seem to answer or maybe some historical questions that just didn't seem to add up. Or maybe your experiences uh, in life have been such that they don't add up with a good and loving God. Uh, prayers haven't been answered. Uh, you thought God would, would show up, but God didn't. Maybe you've gone through a very difficult season of life and you wonder if you can hold on under all of the pressure. And you find your faith teetering on the edge. And you find yourself asking the question, do I really believe in God? Is He really there? I hear people talking about how God answered this prayer or how God changed their life or, or how God healed them. But I can't say that's true in my life. Have you ever been thinking those kinds of thoughts. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's somebody that you know. Maybe it's somebody that you love. But if you feel that way, I want you to know today that you are not alone. That you're in good company. And the Bible has plenty of stories of, of the saints who doubted. And perhaps the best one is a guy named Thomas. In fact, he is so famous that 2,000 years later, if somebody has trouble believing something, we call him what? A Doubting Thomas. How would you like to have that reputation for the all of eternity? And that's just never going away, is it? John's Gospel tells us a story. It says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. Trust us, Thomas. Just believe. We saw him. He said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Now, that seems logical, doesn't it? I mean, you, you say he rose from the grave. Well, that's pretty hard to believe. People don't do that every day. I'm going to need some proof. I need to experience it in person and not just take your word for it. So a few days later, all the disciples saw Jesus in person with their own eyes. Listen to what the gospel writer says. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. What? They saw the resurrected Jesus. They experienced him in person with their own eyes. And they still had doubts. Why? It's because doubt is not the opposite of faith. Okay, it's not either you believe or you don't believe. It's this continuum. Uh, doubt is a part of our faith. It's part of the tension. And we carry those doubts with us all the time. Right? Sure we do. In the book of Jude, verse 22, uh, he counsels church leaders. He says this, 
be merciful to those who doubt. Clearly, in the early church, there were those who were struggling with their faith, just like we do. So this morning, we're going to take a look at the book of Lamentations. It's found between uh, the prophet Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And tradition has ascribed the authorship to the prophet Jeremiah. It's only six chapters long, so it's very easy to miss. And it's really not that much fun of a book to read. I mean, it's not like, hey, let's go read the book of Lamentations in our small group. Okay? It's just not that much fun. It's a lament. It's sad. It's depressing. The city of Jerusalem is in ruins. It was destroyed, burned to the ground in 587 by the emperor of Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar. The temple built by Solomon himself had been pillaged and burned. Much of the population was dead or taken away in exile. The temple was the center of Jewish worship. It represented the presence of God and the sign of his promise. Now it's gone. The Jewish faith reads this book every year for some 2,600 years. On the 9th of Ab, in our calendar, it would be sometime around July, to remember the anniversary of the destruction of the city. And this is what he writes. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow she is, who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. And so the city is depicted as a woman bereaved of her husband and, and children. No praise of God. No, no gratefulness for God's mercy. No reference to God's promises. Just a great loss. A, a crowded city now empty. The queen now a slave. A once powerful nation now a lonely widow. No one to comfort her. In fact, five times in the first two chapters of the book of Lamentations, it says this. There is no one to comfort her. Is that true in your experience when bad things happen, suddenly you find yourself alone? I think the saddest words in this book are actually found at the very end. He says, why do you always forget us? He's speaking to God. Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. Now listen, unless, unless you have utterly rejected us, and are angry beyond measure. So he's kind of asking for a return to the good old days, but then there's this, this big disqualification. He says, unless, unless you have utterly rejected us, maybe this isn't temporary, maybe this is forever, maybe this tragedy is never going to be resolved. We thought, God, that you would show up to help us, but, but you didn't. And maybe that means you don't love us. Maybe it means you don't care about us after all. And maybe sometimes you found yourself there. Maybe sometimes you find yourself asking that question. God, you could have saved this marriage, but you didn't. God, you could have prevented this loss. I know you could have. I know you have the power. I, I know you have the ability. But for some reason, God, you didn't show up. 
And Judah's asking this very same question. God could have prevented this disaster, but God didn't. So he looks around for an answer, and he looks two places. And he begins by looking inward. You see, sometimes pain can be self-inflicted. He's thinking to himself, maybe we caused this. In verse 8, he writes this, Jerusalem has sinned greatly, and so had become unclean. And all who honored her despise her, for they have all seen her naked. She herself groans and turns away. So, so this nation is having to take a hard look in the mirror. You see, the nation of, of, of Israel uh, was supposed to be known for honoring God, being a light to the nations, of, of doing justice and caring for the poor. But she had been doing none of these things. Again and again, the prophets, God would send the prophets to remind her of, of her original calling, but she continued to engage in, in corruption and, and economic oppression and, and political infighting. And now, maybe she was reaping the consequences. A few weeks ago, I, I said that karma is not a Christian idea, it's a pagan idea. Bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. We know that. But, but Paul writes in Galatians, he says this, he says, Do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You see, God cannot be mocked. What Paul means is that we can't treat God with, with contempt by being a jerk and then expect God to come in and fix our mistakes so that we don't have to suffer any of the consequences of our bad behavior. Sometimes our actions do determine outcomes. And so if we sow to please our selfish nature, the outcome will be harmful. And if we sow to please God, Paul says, we'll reap eternal life. You see, sometimes the pain that we experience in life is a result of our own bad choices, our own bad decisions, our own attitudes. Amen? Sometimes. So much of my pain is self-inflicted. <laughs> One day I was um, trying to get some work done. I was hoping to take uh, some time uh, away from the office. And, and I've been working all day. I thought I'd run across the street to my favorite caffeine shop and, and, uh, and get something to, to drink. And uh, I ran into a stranger. He came up to me and he said, do you have a few minutes to talk? And I took a, a look at him and I, I made a quick judgment. I said, hey, he's trying to sell me something. I really don't have the time for it. And I said, no, thank you. And very politely, he Okay. During my drive back to the office, though, I was I was having a discussion with myself. Actually, it was an argument. You ever got an argument with yourself? Because I do that all the time. Okay. Am I the only one? Ooh. Okay. Good. Okay. And, and it was pretty intense. And, and part of me was saying, Mark, you are busy. He was just trying to, to sell you something. Let it go. It's okay. And the other part of me was saying, yeah, but you're a pastor. <laughs> you should have stopped at least long enough to find out what he wanted to ask you. Well, the next morning, um, I learned that we had a member who was in critical condition in the hospital. So I, I hurried over to the hospital. I walked up to the room and, and I walked in and, and, and there was a guy sitting there uh, from a coffee shop, sitting beside one of our members. And I'm thinking, why is he here? And then he introduced himself as the son of one of our members. Yeah. You can imagine how stupid I felt. 
a wave of regret and embarrassment. And I thought, what a jerk I am. Just sign, just put a sign around my neck that says hypocrite, you know? And he was pretty gracious, but during the drive back to the office, I decided I needed to make a change. And I was never, ever going to put work ahead of people again. And I paid fairly faithful to that. <laughs> Often do we think that if only that person would change, everything would be different. If only the circumstances would change, my life would be different. God, if you would come in and fix that other person, if you would change my circumstances, then I would be happy and I wouldn't be disappointed. I won't doubt you anymore. But what, the, the, what, what Jeremiah is finding in his lament is that the problem isn't always out there. Sometimes it's in here. It's often me that needs to make the change. You see, God's job is not to, to let me off the hook by swooping in and fixing whatever my problem is so I won't be disappointed. And for some of us, it may be that our doubts about God are really our way of avoiding accountability for our own bad choices. Maybe we feel far from God because we're keeping God at a distance. We don't want Him involved in all the areas of our life. We don't want God's remedy. And maybe His remedy is that He allows us to deal with the consequences of those decisions. And so part of answering the question, why has this happened, is taking a hard look in the mirror. But that's not the whole story. There's another reaction in this book. And it's this, that sometimes our pain doesn't make sense. That sometimes there isn't a clear line of consequences. Sometimes the loss that we experience doesn't have an answer. And it leads us to doubt and disappointment. Listen to what he says in chapter 3. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again. He feels like God has turned against him, not just once, but over and over again. And maybe that's happened to you. Maybe it seems to you right now that one bad thing has happened to you after another, and it doesn't make sense. Well, it gets personal. Some scholars think this is an eyewitness account. I think it's not an eyewitness account, but it sure reads like it. Listen, he says, Is it nothing to you all who pass by? Look around and see, is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me, that the Lord brought on me in the day of his fierce anger? He seems to be inviting people to observe how bad life is and that God is the cause of it. Look what God has done to me. This is God's fault. This is no put on a happy face and ignore the pain and pretend that everything is okay. You know, a lot of times we do that, don't we? Especially in church. I remember uh, I was about 13 years of age. I got in a fist fight with a guy who was a lot bigger than me. I mean, I was badly mismatched. Bad idea. And by the time he was done with me, I mean, I was bleeding from everywhere. My eyes were starting to swell shut, you know, blood's pouring out of my nose and couple adults are coming up, you know, they're saying, oh, you know, let me help you, let me call your parents, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, you know. 
I'll walk it off. It'll be okay, you know. Share a couple broken bones, but just walk it off. We do that. Why? Why do we pretend like everything's okay? Crying? Stiff upper lip? But not this guy. Is any suffering like my suffering? And unlike Job, there's no reply. No answer from God. God is silent. The writer's left waiting and wondering and praying in the dark. Like some of us, waiting, wondering, is this going to get better? Our prayers seem to go nowhere. And these are the times when I wish I had all the answers. We were just discussing that Friday night, weren't we? Why don't pastors have all the answers? Wish they did. But at some point in our lives, faith, in our faith life, we're going to hit a moment where there's no longer middle ground. And we have to choose what we actually mean by faith. See, I think a lot of us really see faith as a, a, as a lucky charm, as some kind of rabbit's foot that we can rub when we need to bail out of a bad situation, some kind of warm, fuzzy feeling. And in those moments, we realize that that's not what faith is. That faith isn't just an answer. It's a choice that we make when, when all of our answers are gone. Faith is not just a feeling of trust. It's a choice we make when we feel like we can't trust anymore. You see, Lamentations begins with questions and it ends with questions. But in the middle of the book, the writer uses these haunting words about his choice when he realizes that there is no middle ground in the life of faith, that faith isn't this warm, fuzzy feeling. And it's going to be a choice that he has to make in the midst of the doubt, in the midst of his pain and his hardship. And this is what he says, chapter 3, verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. And yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning, and great is His faithfulness. So the writer's speaking to God, and he's making a declaration. Great is your faithfulness. So faith is not about forgetting about the past, nor is it remembering the pain. It's what we choose to call to mind when we are in the midst of it. It's a decision to say that the Lord who has not yet answered is the same God whose compassions never fail. The God who I cannot see in my circumstances today promises new mercy somehow, some way, tomorrow. And so faith is choosing to believe when there is no reason left to believe. It's choosing to trust when there is no way left that we can trust. And we don't do this blindly, and we do not do this in a naive sort of way. We do this because of what we see in Jesus. You see, many people believe the words that I read earlier from chapter 1 are actually prophetic words spoken about Jesus on the cross. Is it nothing to you, all who passed by? Look around and see. Is any suffering like my suffering? 
that was inflicted on me, that the Lord brought on me in the day of his fierce anger. Did you know that these words are part of the liturgy of the Good Friday worship service? You see, the writer of Lamentations in his day could not yet see what God would eventually do. He could not see that the person in this lamentation was actually something, someone who would come 600 years later and hang on a cross outside of Jerusalem, a carpenter from Nazareth named Jesus. And he too, his prayer was ignored. He was made a laughing stock. He was weighed down by the cross. His body was broken. He was given gall to drink. His side was pierced. He was laid in the tomb and lay in darkness. But God did show up. His love didn't fail. His compassion didn't fail. His faithfulness didn't fail. Which means that if it's not okay in your life today, it's not the end. The resurrection proves that there is nothing that happens in your life that is beyond the redeeming touch of God. And God has never done writing your story. His work isn't finished. And for all of us today who doubt, those of us who have questions, for those who think God is missing in action or that God is to blame, your hope does not reside in the strength of your own faith. Your hope is in the strength of God's faithfulness, which He promises will be new every morning. Let's pray. God, sometimes in the midst of our not okayness, we are haunted by your silence. We are haunted by our doubts. We are haunted by our questions, and it can become difficult to believe you are there. It can become challenging to believe that someone is listening. So in those moments, remind us that we are never alone. Remind us that Christ rising from the dead has changed everything. If we pray with great hope in the name of Christ. Amen.
God of creation There at the start Before the beginning of time With no point of reference He spoke to the dark And fleshed out the wonder So alive, the wind. 